Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I am joined by Steph Schott. Steph is the author of Just Keep Swimming and is currently writing her second book. Steph has also done fantastic things for Beat, such as shaving her head, dyeing her hair blue, and has done this great South run. Every year she's aiming to do something with Beat or for Beat, which is fantastic. Today, she joins us to talk about her experience of an eating disorder, which has been impacted by COVID and her relationship that she has with exercise. Hello, Steph. Hello, thank you for having me. No, thank you for coming. I feel like I stumbled on every single word I possibly could in that introduction, but there we go. I think I got it all out, so I think we're okay. I mean, you did pronounce my name right, so, you know, we're, doing, we we're doing well. That is true. I think if I didn't pronounce Steph shot correctly, then we'd be in for a really bad podcast today. I've got a nice, easy name, so it's yeah, okay. That is true. That is true. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I'm really, really excited to talk to you, and I think the stuff that we're talking about is still yeah. super relevant, but also mm-hmm. hopefully things that people can relate to. Yeah. Um. So I guess to start with... Do you want to kind of explain your experience of your eating disorder and and how COVID, I guess, crept into the mitts and the impact that it had? Yes. So um, my I was actually clinically diagnosed with anorexia nervosa in 2019, May 2019. And how it came about was I was working at the time I was trained to become a primary school teacher and I was really struggling and no one knew because I was a healthy weight at that time and to the world I was working I had a job I was meeting up with friends I was eating so no one knew that I had a problem um and I actually I wrote a letter to my parents it was an eight page letter to my parents and I they've still got the letter now you know three years down the line they've still kept it and I remember saying at the end please don't hate me I was like please please help me I I, I need help because I just I couldn't bring myself to say it mm. so I wrote the letter they read it things kind of from that point onwards things went downhill very quickly um I was signed off from work I was referred to April House through my GP um and I was told the waiting list for day patient treatment was six months minimum six months up to a year and I remember just breaking down and saying I'm not ill enough I I can't wait six months like you know I'm I'm gonna die I want to die um and so things got really bad to the point where I was then put in a hospital an inpatient treatment for six months um I was in the priory in Marchwood and then when I was discharged from that I went to April House which is a day patient service and then good old Covid hit 
And so all my treatment, which was, you know, face to face, I was having therapy, I was eating all my meals with people, getting that support face to face, all of that in one in one day it all changed. And it went from being completely, you know, face to face, getting that support to being entirely remote. So that was um it's been a roller coaster definitely, and it's mm-hmm. been really hard. Um, and COVID has hugely impacted my recovery and the way forward. Okay. I think it has for a lot of people, you know. Yeah, I think um I think it's kind of sent kind of ricochets through a lot of people, you know, people that felt like they were really far along on the path of recovery, maybe that the difficulties that are associated with COVID that everybody has felt not just people mm. with eating disorders um yeah. but I think of amplified eating disorders um I kind of just want to go back to what uh your treatment that you said about yeah. so you said that you know you went from kind of that day patient to then being remote and I think there's a lot to be said about online treatment I think it can be fantastic um but yeah. I guess going from that kind of your expectations were to be you know in a clinic every day yeah. having that support so what what were the big changes that you noticed kind of going from that in person to online I think for me I am the type of person who needs to be with people because I like being able to read people and being able to read a situation mm. when you're online you haven't got those social cues so and, you know, when I when I was, for example, when I was having my one to one therapy with my um, CBT therapist, um, I never actually got to saw her, got to see her. Sorry. So all my appointments with her were online were on Zoom or um, voice call. So I never actually saw her face to face. And when you're in that situation where you are essentially pouring your heart out to a complete stranger mm. and to not see them. And to be that vulnerable and to be that open and raw, that was really hard. Because mm. um, I guess as well, when when you don't have that face-to-face contact and personal contact, you, you do feel a bit lonely, I think. Mm. And I think also one of the big things for me was it was easier to hide things mm. and I could get away with a lot more. Okay. Um, and as you know, with an eating disorder, that that's tricky. You know, you're kind of on a slippery slope downhill, really. Um, so, yeah, that it was it was challenging, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I think um, kind of the, the online treatment, I think it can be really good as maybe like a stepped approach um so mm-hmm. maybe thinking about you know that those first that first stage of recovery kind of needs yeah. to person because of those entrenched behaviors like you said mm-hmm. but then kind of you know going forward as that stepped approach as you're moving away from treatment it might be you know yeah. online is something to that to definitely consider because yeah. I think one thing that I find really good about online treatment is mm-hmm. in your home so you get to develop those skills and those behaviors Mm -hmm. in your own home and it's yeah it's less of a you know if you're in in if you're in a clinic you might learn to do it there with the support of everyone around you but then go home and be like I've got no skills so 
I guess I'm, I feel like I'm fighting the corner of online yet. Like, yeah, it's okay. Um, no, I, I definitely think online has its benefits. Mm. And I think it's really good to, you know, be at home, to have those skills at home. Um, and I guess it's also for a lot, not for everyone, but for me, it was like a safe environment. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't clinical or anything like that you know I had all my like recovery quotes around me um I had my little desk and my little cards from inpatient treatment so it was very much kind of a safe space for me which was really nice um so I think it definitely has its benefits and I think also you you need with online recovery and things like that and treatment you need to actually want it mm because you've got no one sitting over you no one telling you to do this to do that so it's self-motivating I think which is a good which can be a good thing but you do have to want that yeah I suppose it's about being in the right place like you said I guess there's a lot more kind of accountability I suppose Mm. a good question there would be you know if if you did find that the online treatment was more about you know you wanting to be in recovery and that accountability mm-hmm. was did that take sort of a shift in mindset from the online uh, sorry from the in-person to the online mm. and how did you shift that that's a really good question and I think to be honest my sh- kind of my mentality changed actually a little bit before we went online mm. Um, so where I went, April House, um, it's incredible. It's an incredible service, and I'm really privileged and really lucky to have been given a chance to go there. Um, but because it's so, such kind of a small service, and they have about eleven patients at any given time across the whole of Hampshire, so if you don't meet their requirements every week, you'll be kicked off the course. Right. It, it that it that harsh. Um, no you know I think you get one week where you go on what they call reflective leave which is where you reflect on your behaviors do you really want recovery is it the right environment for you and then another strike you're out okay and I'd actually been on reflective leave I think my second week there I was on reflective leave because I hadn't met their requirements Mm. and I think from that point I realized ah, I need to do this because otherwise I'm going to lose my place and I can't do that. I can't let these people who fought my corner, I can't let them down. And so for me, that was the turning point where I thought, actually, there are so many people that I've got to do this for, not just for myself, but for my family, for my case manager, for my therapist. I can't let them down. And so for me, that was my motivation. Um, when we went remote, when we went online, again, I knew that if I didn't meet the requirements, I'd be out. And I I was very much of the opinion, I so many people don't have any support. For, for whatever reason, for X, Y, Z, they just don't have that support. And here I was, I had been lucky enough to have... Um, treatment from the Priory from April House and I couldn't let that go so I was determined to just grab it by the balls and just not let go Mm -hmm. and I think that was kind of my shift 
Yeah. I'm quite interested by that approach of, you know, if you don't meet the requirements, you're out mm-hmm. because it sounds really harsh. Yeah. Um, but equally, I think sometimes people do need that wake up call. I don't know. I guess it, I'm thinking it might depend on the individual, but mm. I guess, like you've said, and I agree that, you know, in recovery, you have, when you go into treatment, you have to want it. I think otherwise yeah. you can spend a long time kind of half in, half out and never actually getting anywhere. So maybe that harsh, mm. you have to do the, you have to do these certain things. Otherwise yeah. you're out. I mean, it is harsh. There's no doubt about it. it. It's It can feel, especially when you're in that situation, it feels brutal hmm. and it feels really unfair. But at the same time, you know, this covers the whole of Hampshire. They have 11 places. That's hmm. it. So if you're not going to put in the work, if you're not going to want it, then other people need it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, I guess that is true. Yeah. I think sometimes the harsh truth, as difficult as it is to mm-hmm. kind of accept or to give, I think often it is what's needed. Um, so I guess that was how your treatment was affected. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to sort of discuss kind of the impact of COVID sort of on the eating disorder. Um, yeah. And I had a look at sort of a few things. It was um, some yeah. papers released that were talking about the impact of eating disorders. And it was saying that things like, you know, the socialized isolation, um, a change of routine, they were quite key things in impacting an eating disorder. So is that what you experienced or were there other things as well that you found during lockdown? Even before you said it, my immediate thought was lack of routine. Mm. my entire routine my entire life had been turned on its head and for me that was the hardest thing because eating disorders thrive off the unknown they you know eating disorders create this routine but they they are almost born from the unknown Mm. and they are born in chaos Mm. And not just for people with eating disorders, but I think with the entire world, people who, you know, people who went to work five days a week were now working at home. Um, So I think it impacted everyone on huge, huge scales. But for me, it was just, I felt stranded, completely stranded. I felt like I'd lost my support. I felt like I'd lost who I was what was the point how long was this going to go on for how long could I keep going so I think you you know you have all those questions and you just you don't know you know we're not mind readers we we don't know the future we can't predict the future and so to be in that situation where you've gone from having such a strict routine to bugger all Mm. it's you know you've got no adjustment period yeah and I think that's what's so hard yeah I think I really liked what you said there about um the fact that eating disorders are born out of chaos because I think for you know I'm not talking for everybody but definitely from my personal experience in a in a world of uncertainty Mm -hmm. that the eating disorder 
promises you certainty and at the start it might feel like there's some certainty actually I think it's the most uncertain unreliable completely yeah in the whole entire world it's just kind of you know it presents itself as oh you know this life that you're living is so uncertain and I can Mm. provide you this comfortable certain nature um which at the start it might feel like but I think once you kind of are entrenched in it it's then so uncertain Mm -hmm. so and I guess as well with that you know that might have been maybe some people might have like developed Mm. an eating disorder because of that uncertainty but I can imagine that that change in routine was quite difficult for recovery as well because I think often people slot different you know like lunch dinner snacks breakfast whatever Mm kind of around their routine so did you struggle to kind of stick to a meal plan and stick to kind of your goals because of that change in routine definitely I think I'm very lucky because my parents were really supportive and they kind of made sure I stuck to the meal time that I'd had at April house Mm. so I still had that routine where I stuck to the same kind of timings which was really helpful um But I think for me, it was just I had reached a point where I was beginning to rebuild my life back. And I I was thinking of moving on with my life with seeing friends who I hadn't seen for a year and a half because I refused to see anyone. And now I was being told that I couldn't go out. I couldn't see people, you know. So I thought in that moment, it's very much everyone's been telling me recovery is going to be this amazing thing where I'm going to get me back I'm going to get my life back yep we're in lockdown and I can't do anything and And so that was a really jarring thing yeah and I guess that reinstalled that the eating disorder saying see I told you it was uncertain which you know it's completely not you know nobody could have said that there was going to be a pandemic but I guess that's an easy thing to kind of grasp onto um and also I think you know what you were saying about like socializing and stuff I think often an eating disorder like the oh well we're in a pandemic now see recovery is not that great I feel like often eating disorders grasp onto like the finest smallest thing so did you feel as well almost and I guess this might relate to like when we sort of started coming out of lockdown as well, yeah. that anxiety of going from, you know, not wanting or wanting to see people, but not allowing yourself to then wanting to and not being able to. And then yeah. kind of coming out of lockdown, you hadn't then seen people for even longer. So I can imagine that, that anxiety was quite high. I mean, that anxiety had increased tenfold. And I think it's it's really, it's almost scary how quickly your fears can change. And from one, you know, one moment they can be quite low. Um, and then the next minute they're really high again. So I think, it, you know, it fluctuates a lot. And I think if you do something once, then you think, oh, it's fine. I can do it again. And then the longer you don't do it, the greater that fear becomes. Um, and I think for me, kind of not seeing anyone, it was very much anorexia's way of talking the good talk. 
of of getting into my ear you know she eating disorders know exactly what to say to you they can't deliver but they know what to say they're manipulative they say all the right things and they make the they make the world appear against you and they're your only friend and this and that and you believe them because eating disorders isolate you from the world but so did covid so i didn't have my friends telling me you know you know oh you know we believe you um your illness is valid so it was just me and my eating disorder mm. um yeah. that's not a good thing and that was something that i kind of wanted to come on to again with that social isolation is eating disorders do thrive in isolation so mm. you know going through recovery during covid i can imagine being so difficult because you don't have you know other people to reach out to and almost be able to replace that eating disorder because I'm yeah. a really firm believer in that when people are kind of looking at that you know reasons to recover and stuff mm. it's so important to look at the negatives and the positives because I think the positives there are going to be some but equally mm. when you actually look at the positives on paper often they're not actually true and they can be counteracted yeah. by the negatives but yeah. you wouldn't have been able to have that positive of Mm. I can now go and see my friends I can now go Mm. out for dinner and I suppose that's another thing that I haven't thought about is practicing those skills yeah no I completely agree and obviously now we're, we're not in the end of the pandemic but we are sort of reaching the end game and you know we're beginning to kind of go back to normality if you like meeting friends and going out and I'm I'm slowly kind of building up those things away from anorexia um and I think it's really interesting what you said about replacing anorexia with other things Mm. because that's exactly what recovery is about it's about anorexia or any eating disorder it it almost fills a void in your life Mm. it happens because you're missing something or because there's a piece of the puzzle that doesn't quite fit and anorexia or bulimia or whatever eating disorder it is it leaps in and it fills that void that gap inside of you and so when you're trying to let go of anorexia you need to grab hold of other things mm. um but it can be really difficult to grab hold of the right things yes and you have just sidelined so nicely I think you might have done that you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) I'm Um, good at that into uh what we wanted to talk about next so exercise and I think exercise is so commonly that thing that you just spoke about as being the wrong thing um that we replace an eating disorder with because it's seen as healthy. It's seen as, you know, yeah. oh, it releases endorphins. It's going to make you feel great. But often, you know, especially with anorexia, with that sort of perfectionistic mindset, all or nothing, I think exercise mm-hmm. can become then the only thing. And I imagine during a pandemic where you can't go out and see your friends, you can't go and really mm-hmm. develop a lot of hobbies apart from maybe crochet or painting which are fantastic hobbies don't get me wrong but they might not quite fill the void that is so massive of an eating disorder um so what 
how did your relationship with exercise kind of how did that occur during your eating disorder and then sort of kind of grow change shift mm. um, when you started embarking on recovery what as always I feel like this is a real cliche but at the beginning it I had good intentions <laughs> you, know, you know I never intended for things to get as bad as they did but I just thought you know bit of exercise it's good the world tells me it's good um and I did I did genuinely enjoy it to start off with mm-hmm. in the very early days and it was the endorphins that it released and it made me feel good it made me feel productive it set up my day and then the kind of the praise came from people oh look at you look how motivated you are I wish I had your willpower and that fueled anorexia for me um and things spiraled where where as you said before about you know people with eating disorders tend to be perfectionists and nothing is ever good enough so I was always pushing myself saying you know this wasn't good enough that wasn't good enough I need to do more every day not every week every day I need to beat my previous best Mm. um to the point where it completely took over my life and if I had social engagements or uni work I'd exercise over that so that became my world and I lost sight of everything else and I think when people think of addiction they think an addiction is to something bad like drugs or alcohol but addiction can be to anything and exercise isn't always good and it's about balance and anything if you take it to one extreme or the next can be bad Mm. and can be an addiction and exercise is no exception and with covid you know you had everywhere I looked every channel that was on tv every news article I read it was all about how lockdown almost gave you a reason to work out there was now no excuse you know you had to do this you've got all the time in the world now so what's your excuse there is no excuse and there is an excuse sometimes you know sometimes there there really is and you don't need to work out to be healthy the two don't always go hand in hand and there's a fine line I think between exercising because it makes you feel good and exercising because you feel you don't have a choice it's really interesting and exercise is something that is really dear to my heart to talk about um because I think you know from what you've explained I think I had a very similar experience mm-hmm. it was almost for me as though it was a mask in like oh well yeah. you know everyone believes that I'm recovering from my eating disorder but this exercise mm-hmm. gives me a chance to to hide things and I think what you just said there about kind of that difference between exercising because it makes you feel good I've I always think because 
you know, like you've said, people think that an addiction is to a bad thing. And how mm. could how could exercise possibly be something be bad, exactly. that is a bad addiction? And you know, I even to my mum and dad when I explain, you know, I sh- I shouldn't actually work out today, or you know, mm-hmm. going for a walk today doesn't actually feel okay for me because I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. It's really difficult to explain, um, but I often think about it as kind of like, are you exercising? because like you said it will make you feel good or are you exercising because it's the only way that you think you can feel good Mm. and then if it's the latter I think that's where it's the dangerous one because you're it's almost that negative reinforcement in that Mm. there's so much anxiety without the exercise but then doing the exercise yeah it might relieve the anxiety for an hour but you're then back in that in that same position again um And I completely agree with you with in terms of COVID, the Mm -hmm. social media messages in terms of, you know, you've not got to go to work now. So there's, you know, you've not got that commute. That's the time that you could be exercising Mm -hmm. and messages like that. I think it's always really difficult because I suppose maybe I don't I don't think that sort of message anybody needs to hear, but giving people ideas that maybe struggle to find time for exercise you know, it's it's really difficult because some people might benefit from that. But then I guess on the other side of that, people that do have an, an issue with exercise, mm. you know, because of being at home and working from home, it gave me so many more opportunities to work yeah. out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about you, but I would be looking on social media and it became everybody was posting their workouts. Mm. So it felt to me like everybody was exercising 24 hours yeah. of the day. Yeah. And I'd always been the person that did the most exercise. So then I felt like I needed to do even more. Yeah. It almost gives you a really distorted sense of self-worth and of pleasure because you think to yourself, oh, I'm doing more exercise than X, Y, Z. Oh, look, you know, look at how good I am. And it's so easy to trick yourself into thinking that you're doing it for all the right reasons Mm. because of the messages everyone everyone's giving off and so all you need to do is type exercise on on google and it just comes up with all the positives how great it is how it's good for your mental health but there's a much darker side to exercise that isn't talked about at all and that dark place where you feel like it's a matter of life or death Mm. and if you don't exercise you'll die or you'd rather die than not exercise. And to be in that place where you you can't run away from it. You can't. So for me, my, my crutch was running. And I was running essentially to my grave. I wasn't running away from my problems. I was running to my death. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but it's true. And that place of I'd set my alarm every morning for seven eight o'clock in the morning I'd go for a run in the wind in the rain and snow I'd have blisters on my feet the size of a hard rock and I'd still run I'd been so much pain I'd feel sick I'd feel ill I'd have a headache I'd be close to collapsing and I would still run and I did I couldn't could not break that 
I couldn't do it. And to be in that position, it's hell, complete hell. And people don't understand the dangers of exercise. I really, really appreciate your honesty because Mm. I think we need to hear the impact that kind of excessive exercise can have and the severity of it as well. Because I think even, and this frustrates me, even if if you say to somebody, or, you know, I struggle with excessive exercise Mm. or exercise addiction, people are like, well, look at you. That's great. I know. I know. I wish I had your willpower. That is one of my ultimate bugbearers. Yeah. But, you know, like, like you said, I don't, it's almost like, that exercise addiction is glorified and we don't hear about the the negative side and you know I have distinct memories of you know crying so much before a workout because you know I know it was it's almost that sort of uh what's it called when you both pull a rope tug of war war. yeah (laughs) (laughs) that tug of war of of, I I knew deep down that I needed to take a rest but the anxiety about taking a rest was so horrific that you know I'd I'd cry for and beat myself up but then I'd almost be fueled with so much anger at the eating disorder that I needed to exert it somewhere so the rational thing felt to exercise which you know it wasn't the rational thing I you know should have built coping mechanisms and stuff like that but I think at the time because it's something so difficult to Mm. have a conversation about and express Mm. it's it's Mm. difficult to build that so I guess if people are listening and they're sort of thinking oh my god you know this is so nice to hear that somebody else Mm. has struggled with excessive exercise and I can relate to them how did you get yourself out of that excessive exercise nature that's a really good question and genuinely it's been the hardest part of my recovery by a country mile pun not intended (laughs) but um it's been really really hard and even when I was in hospital I was still running Mm. Um, and they had to lock my bedroom throughout various times of the day I was put on one-to-one but as soon as that as soon as they took that off me I'd run again because they weren't looking at why I was running and what was driving me to running and that sheer anxiety of not being able to concentrate on anything else if I didn't run I couldn't I couldn't do anything else um And I remember chanting to myself, stupid fat bitch. I just over and over those three words over and over again. And just if I was in pain or if I was crying, even if I was reading a book, I'd be running and reading. I couldn't, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't do it. And I think the best, when I was at April House, actually, that's when I went cold turkey. Um, and with my family as well and my parents, we had measures in place where if I was upstairs in my room, I'd have to have my door open. Um, 
so for me I think going cold turkey and again it was when I went on reflectively from April House I realized oh I I can't do this anymore I can't keep hiding things I can't keep running because I'm going to lose my place here and I think with inpatient treatment just really briefly um you you don't have that threat of being discharged or leaving the program if you break the rules or if you exercise or if you don't gain xyz and don't meet the requirements they're not going to kick you out whereas if you're in day patient then that threat is very real um and so going cold turkey for me was the only way to I think break that habit and also kind of just muting social media and not going on Instagram and not going on Twitter and not watching the news um because otherwise those thoughts of oh I need to do this I need to do that they'd be too strong for me mm-hmm. so I needed to basically just go cold turkey and just push everything away and that was the only way for me personally that I could move forward yeah I think this is a really interesting topic and I'm in like two minds basically I I think Mm. it completely depends on the individual yeah um you know if you are in a compromised position where exercising means you're going to be medically unstable or you know if if it's got such a hard grasp on you exercise needs to cease then obviously it needs to it needs to cease and I guess that could be maybe the start but I'm I think one thing that has always kind of annoyed me was that when I was in treatment that's exactly what happened it was you cannot exercise and so it was almost like okay thank you for the permission um you know it's still so difficult but at least it wasn't me making that decision yeah however I then got discharged and I'd had no support whatsoever in developing a relationship with exercise which then meant that I just went back to my old habits like you said you just go back to running because you have no understanding of what is it you know what is a rest day what like how do mm. I know when I'm supposed to rest how what does it feel like what mm. exercise do I like what exercise do I hate mm. you know the majority of the exercise that I used to do when I had an eating disorder I now hate because it was punishing but I still don't really know what I like because I was never able to explore that so no. do you think that at some point in treatment that should be involved in order to understand how you feel about exercise I think 100%. I think obviously at the beginning, as you said, when your physical health is compromised, then I think, you know, you you just need to stop and you need to rest completely. Mm. Um, but then I think as you move towards discharge and you look towards recovery moving forward, I think those discussions around exercise needs to be had. Because I think, especially in today's world, you cannot escape exercise. And that talk of exercise and weight loss and being healthy and fit. And you you need to develop skills to deal with that. 
um, and you need to have your own little toolbox in a way so you can draw out on things that can help you to cope in that world um, but it's just I think what's difficult is knowing when to draw the line and when to start introducing it because you don't want to do it too early mm. yeah I really like that point about um and that's literally why I think it's so important that this is involved in treatment and in recovery is because there there are going to be times when you're sat in a social situation someone starts talking about the new exercise regime or yeah. you're on Instagram and somebody's posting about this workout that you find triggering and you have to be able to kind of navigate that um mm. I had something quite similar recently in that a family member of mine um put on a bit of weight over Christmas and mm. wanted to lose a bit of weight which in an in a non eating disorder individual mm. is, is is perfectly acceptable if fine. someone's not comfortable yeah. in their body then mm. that's fine and it was actually a really nice reflective moment for me because I was I wasn't triggered and I just was like you yeah. know that's that's your choice that's your body and if you want to do that and I feel like I've only been able to do that because I've kind of given myself so many tools to be able to cope with kind of the diet chat conversations but in exercise I've never I don't think anybody's ever discussed that with me but having those tools like you said would have been Mm. so useful Mm. It, it really would and as you as you said you know there's I think in many ways it's much easier to to cope with diet talk because people you know more and more people now are coming forward speaking about their eating disorder and things like that and it's becoming more of a of a known thing now and more and more people are coming forward and discussing it and having those talks but with exercise those talks are still being brushed under the carpet and Mm. not being had um and again I think the fundamental reason is because it's not seen as an addiction it's not seen as a bad thing how can exercise be bad for you yeah um but it 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 can kill you Mm. it's the honest answer yeah I guess if if people are listening um and maybe they're worried about themselves or they're worried about somebody that they think might kind of you know have an excessive relationship with Mm -hmm. exercise what would you say are I think it's difficult to kind of categorize necessarily but what would you say some of the main signs for you would be to look out for um irritability Mm. um and for me when I was deep in that addiction I it was almost like I had a character transplant and I just wasn't stiff I was moody I was angry I was angry all the time and if someone questioned me and said oh you know really kind of just nonchalantly why don't you have a rest day I would bite their head off um I think another really kind of key sign is when they are not engaging with not engaging socially and maybe instead of meeting friends, they're exercising. And so they're withdrawing themselves from the world and from society. I think that's a huge, huge giveaway in a way. Um, when you become very isolated and you stop talking, you stop engaging. Um, 
and you lose yourself. Mm. Um, but I think unless you know what to look for, those signs are sometimes almost so small, you you don't see them. And I think also people, in a way, they choose not to see them because it's easy to have that ignorance. Yeah. And to not face those issues. I think the thing about socialising, it just kind of came into my head, is really interesting because that could be so subtle because um, in my personal experience, I went off to uni and I joined powerlifting club and all of my friends became powerlifters. And the friends that I had that were outside of the gym, I never Mm -hmm. saw. But the friends that I saw in the gym, because I was exercising, I saw all the time, and they became my best friends. And that was a great excuse, because I was like, oh, I'm just hanging out with my friends. But I wasn't, I I didn't give a crap about who I was with. I just wanted to be in the gym, which is awful. And I hate saying that, because there's now some of my best friends. I met my boyfriend in the gym, but at the time, that's not what mattered. You don't care about people or feelings or you. All you care about is doing the exercise. That is, it's a really hard thing to explain, but your world just becomes so focused on just one thing. Mm. It's just so singular that nothing else matters. Your, Your hygiene doesn't matter. Your friendships don't matter. Your relationships don't matter. Your future doesn't matter. The only thing that matters in that one moment is exercising. Mm. And yeah, it's it's shit, really. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You can but, say. Um, <laughs> might have to cut that out. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's absolutely shit. It, yeah there there are no other words sometimes and yeah yeah I think um again I know I've already said it but I really appreciate your honesty because I think like you said there's a lot of talk about eating disorders and I think we know that the impact of an eating disorder on your life Mm. is crap as well um but like you said exercise is just glorified exercise is seen as fantastic and I don't think I've ever been honest enough because I don't know there's almost an element of shame in that something that everybody a bit I guess that's kind of the same yeah. with eating disorder is that something that everyone does every day I've got a problem with yeah. there's absolutely no shame in it because when it takes over it really takes over and I really liked what you said well not liked but um I've kind of I guess I've never spoken about that before as well in terms of you just don't care about anything else other than exercise and when you said hygiene you you know you don't care about your hygiene that was something for me like you know I'd come home from the gym and I just I didn't care about you know showering or anything I was just satisfied with the fact that I'd exercised and thinking about the next time I would so maybe that's another thing for people to sort of recognize Mm -hmm. is if hygiene socializing that sort of thing starts to slip I mean I would I would, I feel horrible for saying this, but I would literally, I would tear my pants inside out. I wouldn't wash them. I wouldn't even put my washing in the laundry basket. I would just turn them inside out. and I just, none of that mattered. Showering didn't matter. Shaving didn't matter. Brushing my teeth didn't matter. Because it it was time taken away from exercising. Mm. And I couldn't do that. 
Um, but I think something that kind of you've said is really interesting and it's how there seems to be, I think with exercise particularly, very much a blanket approach. Everyone can exercise. There's no excuse, but they don't take into account people's background, people's history. And if you want to exercise, fine, you exercise but don't impose it on everyone else. Mm. What's okay for one person is not necessarily okay for someone else, but we all have different bodies, different paths. And I think it's about accepting that just because someone else can do something doesn't mean we have to, or we should. Um, and when you said about, um, you know, how everyone else can have a good relationship with exercise why can't I how can something so good be so bad mm. and the thing is I think a lot of people don't I think a lot of people do have problems with exercise but they just don't talk about it mm. and I think what we see on social media is a highlighted reel of life it's not reality it's little snippets it's the highlights of life and it's not reality. And so I actually think a lot of people do struggle with exercise and fitness, but they just they don't share it. So I don't think we are alone or as alone as our heads tell us. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people actually in the same boat as us. Yeah. Um, but we're just too too afraid, too ashamed, too scared to, to mention anything. I think maybe sometimes as well, people don't even recognize it. No. um no because it is so normalized especially mm. like gym culture you know there's phrases mm. like pain is weakness leaving the body no days off all of that crap that you know it's it's a it's an environment built up basically for you to to punish your body mm. through exercise and I think that was something that I really wanted to to mention that we kind of forgot is that exercise should be fun like oh, it, yeah, shouldn't, I about that. it shouldn't be something that you know you feel a, an, a compulsion to do and you can't rest if you don't do it it should be something that you go and you have a smile on your face when you leave not yeah. feeling like you've not done enough or need to do more or whatever um so I think being able to you know during recovery explore that as well in terms of what yeah. do I enjoy doing what makes me feel good um which might there's, be so, there's so much out there there's so many different types of exercise that you can do um and it's just a whole other world to explore and I think finding out what you enjoy and doing it because you want to because it makes you feel good not because you don't have a choice I think is so important mm. um but it, it can be really hard to find your niche yes um and I think particularly in the kind of gym culture you think you should be doing it you think you should be bodybuilding you think you should be um doing doing weights and whatnot so I think we almost trick ourselves into telling us this this is what we need to do this is what we should enjoy yeah and we don't listen to our bodies yeah absolutely I think because I think a lot of the time that listening to your body you know if you've had an eating disorder not only do you have to mm -hmm. learn about your hunger and fullness cues, but you have to be able to learn when enough is enough or mm -hmm. sometimes maybe when you need to do more. Um, 
I think it all depends on kind of where you're coming from but being able to actually listen to your body and say yeah that's that's okay for today um I've enjoyed myself and that was enough um so yeah I think I think that was a fantastic conversation about exercise and I'm hoping that people listening will you know be able to kind of relate and maybe think about especially this time of year um you know the gyms are always rammed with people that are starting new regimes and kind of I guess you know exploring different alternatives of of exercise what you've been wanting to ask so I have some questions from the listeners um because I don't even know what the time is but I feel like we're probably getting close to having talked for a long time um so um I think you you kind of touched on this a little bit um initially but somebody has said that they're in quite a similar position in terms of their treatments gone from being face-to-face to online and they wanted to know how you dealt with that transition and how it feels having the online appointments rather than the in-person ones I mean that I think what makes it harder is there was no transition period okay it very much happened overnight yeah and I think that's what's so hard but I think it's about and I know it's really easy to say this and really hard to actually do it but it's about acknowledging that you are actually in a really good position and you are lucky enough to be having that support whether it's online or offline you have that support and that help use it Mm. And ultimately, whether again, whether it's offline or online, the only person who's in charge of their recovery is you. Mm-hmm. And you can have all the help and you can have all the support and people, you know, putting your left arm up, your right arm up, your leg down, your foot down. If you don't want to do it and you don't want to engage, then you're not going to do it. Yeah. So I think it gives you the perfect opportunity to take ownership of your recovery and say well actually do you know what screw all the professionals who said I can't recover I'm I'm not going to let COVID or anyone else dictate my life anymore Mm. and in a time of uncertainty be certain that you can take back that control Mm. because you can do it and I believe in you and it it is 100% possible yeah Absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe see it, you know, if you really want to twist it on its head and just see it as that this is the way that it's happened. And I've been given this opportunity to prove myself and do it kind of maybe a little bit more distance than what I initially planned. Um, And the the other question um, was, how did you manage online weigh-ins? Online weigh-ins? that was interesting so um I again I was really lucky in that I had my parents and so I'd be weighed in front of them they would see the weight and then April House um every Monday and Thursday I think it was they would phone me and I'd have to report my weight to them um and I think one of the harder things about that is again it's so easy to lie 
and it's so easy to manipulate what the scale says um and it's easy to just if they say you know oh you know what was what how did weigh-in go it's easy for you to say oh it was fine you know and you you can you can lie and you can manipulate things but I think for me it was just there was no point that there really wasn't and again I was lucky enough to have that support they were trying to help me and the only way it could work is if I was honest and I've I've tried lying and I've tried manipulating it and it's it's really hard and really time consuming to keep lying all the time and I know that sounds really weird but to keep lying and to keep up those pretenses it's bloody hard and I just couldn't couldn't do that anymore I'd had enough of lying and of pretending I was okay and so I just thought Steph just tell them the truth and maybe if you're honest with them they can actually help you yeah I think that is kind of the most important thing isn't it is that you know you're in you're in treatment for a reason and how can people Mm -hmm. help you if they've not got you know, if you tell them that your weight's going up every week and actually it's going down, <laughs> there's only so exactly. much people can do. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can imagine that they are difficult. And especially, I think, if you've gone from kind of a blind way in maybe mm-hmm. in person to then, you know, having to do it at home. But I do think that, you know, as difficult as seeing your weight might be, it is a really important of the recovery process is to get comfortable with seeing that number and to be able to have the coping skills you know whilst you're in treatment develop those coping skills to be able to step on the scales and not think I'm a shit person because of whatever yeah. the scales say but yeah. because I think that I think it's about being able to see your your the number but not let your life be dictated by that number yeah. and knowing that your worth is not tied down to numbers or figures and that you are so much more than that but I think it is I think we do need to learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable yeah yeah um, I think that's literally <laughs> as difficult as it sounds and as as easy as it sounds just say be comfortable with the uncomfortable I do think that that is eating disorder recovery it's going to be the most uncomfortable yeah. thing that you ever do but you have to you have to deal with the uncomfortable things yeah. in order you know n- you know going cold turkey on exercise mm. it's going to be horrific there's no nice way about it mm. stepping on the scales mm. and seeing your weight it's not going to be pleasant sitting down and eating something that you're terrified of it's not going to be pleasant but you have to do it in order to get better. The amount of times I wanted to punch the living daylights out of people who were making me do this. I was like, this is so unfair. Why are you doing this? And recovery isn't all rainbows and flowers and recovery is a slog. Mm. And it's really hard at times. But I think what's really important to hold on to is that with recovery, I think, sometimes you make these changes that are so imperceptible that actually you don't realize it and then you suddenly reach a point where you suddenly realize that you've come along and you've come a long way and you don't know how you've got there you don't know how you've done it but you have yeah and I think it's okay to be proud of yourself for that and to acknowledge that 
yeah and to say actually do you know what I've done a bloody good job mm. yeah um but there's a there's no easy way to say it and there's no way to sugarcoat it recovery is tough and it feels impossible at times mm. it feels uncomfortable it feels unsafe it feels terrifying that the alternative is dying by your eating disorder yeah so I'd rather choose life no matter how hard it is I choose life over death yeah absolutely and I think you know even because I think sometimes in that quasi recovery death might not be kind of the kind of either or but I guess living life with an eating disorder by your side Mm. or being free you know it's about I think existing and truly living yes absolutely well thank you so much I really think that that will be such an inspirational chat to listen to so thank you it's been an honor to talk to you I really really enjoyed that and I could go on for so much um but no thank you for having me and it's been really I think really helpful as well for me Good. just to say those things and to voice it um and I think to just have that knowledge that people are going to be listening to this who are probably in a similar situation mm. and that you know we're not alone yeah and that there's always hope yeah next week we'll be joined by carolina mountford carolina is a mental health speaker and has her own experience of an eating disorder after 15 years i must say that this episode with carolina is the first one i've cried in and it was really emotional and inspiring so i can't wait for you to hear it If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode, so be sure to subscribe. We also want to say a massive thank you to all our Patreons, and for anybody who wants to support Full of Beans, you can now become a Patreon for several different tiers to allow us to create more podcast episodes and more resources to spread awareness and reduce stigma. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.